0: Once again, we're breaking the order of service this morning. Uh, Anyone who wishes to attend our prayer meeting uh, has always been welcome. The uh, deacons or the volunteers or whatever you want to call them. We get together before the meeting and just pray together. And... uh, Last Sunday, there were so so many people in there that uh, someone made the suggestion afterwards that why don't we just do the same thing with the whole congregation? So that's what we're going to try this morning. We'll just have a little meditation together, and then we'll start the service. Now, if you would like to hold the hand of the person next to you, you can. If you think they have sweaty palms, you know, you don't have to do this. In silence now, let us remember our purpose today. Which is the peace of God. Which is to extend our mental arms. Around not only the people beside us. But everyone in this room. In this town of Santa Fe. In this world in this universe. We have no barriers now, no tightness, no defense. We let in every living thing and we bless it all. This is our day of peace. Our day to remember that our path home is a happy path. And in happiness, we welcome all our brothers and sisters. And so, for just a moment now, let us pause and feel the oneness of all life and the blessing that blankets it. Okay.
1: This morning's reading is from A Course in Miracles, from the text, page 157. Remember always that your identity is shared, and that its sharing is its reality. You have a part to play in the atonement, but the plan of the atonement is beyond you. You do not understand how to overlook errors, or you would not make them. It would merely be further error to believe either that you do not make them or that you can correct them without a guide to correction. And if you do not follow this guide, your errors will not be corrected. The plan is not yours because of your limited ideas about what you are. This sense of limitation is where all errors arise. The way to undo them, therefore, is not of you, but for you. The atonement is a lesson in sharing which is given you because you have forgotten how to do it. The Holy Spirit merely reminds you of the natural use of your abilities. By reinterpreting the ability to attack into the ability to share, he translates what you have made into what God created. If you would accomplish this through him, you cannot look on your abilities through the eyes of the ego, or you will judge them as it does. All their harmfulness lies in the ego's judgment. All their helpfulness lies in the judgment of the Holy Spirit. The ego, too, has a plan of forgiveness because you are asking for one, though not of the right teacher. The ego's plan, of course, makes no sense and will not work. By following its plan, you will merely place yourself in an impossible situation to which the ego always leads you. The ego's plan is to have you see error clearly first and then overlook it. Yet how can you overlook what you have made real? By seeing it clearly, you have made it real and cannot overlook it. This is where the ego is forced to appeal to mysteries, insisting that you must accept the meaningless to save yourself. Many have tried to do this in my name, forgetting that my words make perfect sense because they come from God. They are as sensible now as they ever were because they speak of ideas that are eternal. Forgiveness that is learned of me does not use fear to undo fear, nor does it make real the unreal and then destroy it. Forgiveness through the Holy Spirit lies simply in looking beyond error from the beginning and thus keeping it unreal for you. Do not let any belief in its realness enter your mind, or you will also believe that you must undo what you have made in order to be forgiven.
0: Okay, I want you to say something after me. I get myself in difficult situations. I get myself in difficult situations and then think I must see it through to the bitter end. And then think I must see it
1: through
0: to the bitter end. I don't know if you... When I was growing up, maybe this was only in Texas, I don't know. When I was growing up, there were... There were these ads in every little magazine you would buy at the drugstore about becoming a chinchilla breeder. <laughs> Do you remember those? I'm sure that these people got themselves in difficult situations. I remember um, Gail and I once, Gail and I once went to a woman's house and she raised cockapoos. Cockapoos, that's a, a cocker spaniel and a poo. I don't know why they're not called poo cocks, but I don't know, if they're po- cockapoos. And she had cockapoos everywhere, on top of the refrigerator, and I mean, everywhere you looked, it was just blanketed with uh, cockapoos. Uh, but it was a project that she had begun, and I'm sure that she thought she had to see it through to the, the bitter end. Now, the reason that I had us all say that together you may notice that I said it too with you, is that this is, in fact, what we are always doing. We, first of all, get ourselves into a difficult situation that we don't need to get ourselves into. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning, how to not get into the difficult situation to begin with. But once you have dug your hole, it's good to sit in it for a while not to just immediately uh, thrash about and start making another mistake. But what we tend to do is not just sit in it for a while until until we're clear. We think that somehow we must finish the whole thing. And one of the delightful recognitions that comes to us on our walk home, whether we use spiritual terminology or not, as we approach and a deep appreciation of kindness and gentleness and happiness and love and peace, as those things become more and more real and more and more of value, as we value harmony in our family more than being right or maintaining discipline or being uh, more permissive than others or a thousand other things that... uh, that we can get caught up in, but just value simple love and harmony in our business and our relationships so that we actually work for it now, not in the future, but now, as we travel this path of light. Because truly, kindness and gentleness and peace and happiness are of the Father. They are pure light. And this is, this is a path of light. And our heart and our mind fills with light as we walk this very, very gentle road. And there are many benefits that are difficult even to talk about because they are so easily misunderstood by those who have not yet gotten to this point that the benefit comes. And yet we must read of these things and we read the, read of them in various teachings of truth. Knowing, of course, that we probably don't see it clearly because it's not yet a part of our life. But unless we see what the benefit will be and that unless we give our trust to the benefit, it is slow in coming. And so that's why it is a good thing to talk about these benefits And to know that they will be yours very shortly if they are not yours already. And one such benefit is that in a true sense, you begin to realize that in this world, there is no good or bad. There is no right or wrong. There is no I shouldn't be here and I should only be there. I want only this person, and I can't stand so-and-so. This is a pure fiction. It is an a hallucination. It is, a, it is almost a trance state out of which we awaken. And very slowly we begin to see that this little life that we have constructed, this little body with its little name and its little soap opera that it goes through, that this identity within the world, this worldly identity, is ours to do with as we wish. We have made such a cramped little sidewalk upon which we think we must walk. The, The few things that we think we are allowed to do, the few thoughts we think we are allowed to think. It is so cramped and so uncomfortable. One day, the realization comes to you. Maybe you lose it, then it comes back. Maybe you lose it again, and it comes back. But ever with increasing clearness that you can put your body anywhere you wish to. John Gooch has a friend uh, whose parents live in Missouri, and they noticed that no one would show up at Christmas time in Missouri. Uh, I went to college in Missouri, and I know that there are parts of it that, are, that have a fairly severe winter. And so, you know what they did? They decided to have their Christmas in June so that everybody would like to come, and then they made the rule that the only thing you could give to other another family member was something you had bought in a garage sale. <laughs> this family truly enjoys Christmas. Why not? You see, probably very few people have thought of that and a thousand other options just about Christmas. And what about how we eat and how we dress and where we go on our vacations and where we buy gasoline and where we buy our food. The uh, the carnival. We have I don't know if it's four or five times now. John has been taken to the carnival. Do you remember? Oh, it's three, three times. Okay. The three times uh, that we have taken John to the carnival uh in that we have become very familiar with all the sights and sounds and uh there's a there's a ride there which I don't know if it's called this now but when I was a boy it was called the hammer do you know the one i mean it looks it looks like two bananas on a stick you know um but they don't call it banana they call it the hammer and uh oh speaking of bananas um <laughs> I heard the most wonderful story. Uh, this has nothing to do with the talk. <laughs> uh, a friend of Gail's and mine uh, overheard, uh, she overheard her nephew explaining to another little boy uh, about the uh, burial that they were just going to because the other little boy was scared about this. And our friend's nephew said, Oh, no, you don't need to be afraid. He said, we're all bananas, and all they do is just bury the peel, and the rest of you goes to heaven. (laughs) You know, children see these things so clearly, you know. Uh, And... uh, at the, uh, in looking at the hammer, what I've noticed is that people will sort of can't congregate around the hammer because there are these blood-curdling screams, <laughs> pleads, and everything else coming from the sky, do you see?
1: <laughs>
0: and usually they have someone who is wonderfully sadistic that's that's running this. And so what this guy will do is, of course, stop the hammer in midair when everybody's upside down. And then there will be great invectives and, and uh, threats that come from the uh, sky about how you better move this, <laughs> such and such a thing, and so forth. But the interesting thing is that the people have already seen this, do you see? They've they been down and they know what's going to happen, and then they get themselves in a difficult situation and feel very surprised it's now happening to them. This, of course, is something that we learn to avoid as we go along. And I want to talk about this this morning, but I also want to caution you that what I'm going to say is so easy to misunderstand. And that's why we had that particular reading from A Course in Miracles to precede this. There are two ways of looking at this world. One of it makes our judgments real. And so we actually think we know the good guys and the bad guys the good places and the bad places. We think we know what is good and bad behavior and what someone should be going through and what they shouldn't be going through. We really believe we know all this. And it's very hard. It's, it's, these are very hard pointed stones that we put in our path. This thought that we can judge this world And that we can start with the premise that part of it's healed and part of it isn't. And that's just nonsense. There are no good or bad places in this world. There are no happy or unhappy places. There are no good or bad people. There is no good or bad behavior. That's very easily misunderstood. That sounds like I'm condoning rape or something. Of course that's not true. That has nothing to do with condoning violence and hurting people and so forth. It simply means that it is what we bring to the situation that sets the tone, that allows our way to be either difficult or easy. And this is the thing we must begin to trust. Are we making things difficult for ourselves or are we making them easy? Now, as we go along, we do begin to see the world more clearly, as we said last time. As well as seeing truth more clearly. This does not mean that we are judging it. It means we simply see the nature of the world. And we see not only the nature of the world, but we see the nature of certain places in the world without judging them. And so, for example we can begin to sense whether or not a particular place is a happy place without judging the people in it, without trying to go and make recommendations as to what they should do, without carrying this with us after we have seen it, without thinking that we have to tell other people about what we have seen and make this into some sort of cause. We simply say, ah, this is not a place, a happy place for me to buy my groceries. This is not a happy place for me to have my car filled up. This is not a happy place for me to go to a movie. This is not a happy place for me to to uh, to do my banking. We see this about people. We can see that a person is not happy at this moment. That they are quite conflicted. And so we see, ah, it would not be good to bring this person into our house every single day to help us with the cleaning. This is not a judgment on the person. This does not mean we don't help the person in every way we can. But we say, I am not beyond being affected by this person's deep conflict. And so, of course, I won't bring them into my house right now because I will get caught up in their struggle. And the whole family will. And pretty soon. It's not going to be as happy a family. This is not a judgment. Against, against the employee. That you're considering. Uh, taking on in your business. I think I told you that. Uh, some months ago. I went with a friend. To a professional person's office. Do you like that? Professional person. Uh, we're just going to make sure that no one can figure out <laughs> who this individual is uh, and uh I was um sitting in the waiting room, and the professional person came out and said, uh, "I never allow children here. I don't know why people bring children in here, and I want you to know that I put all three of my children up for adoption.
1: <laughs>
0: this is a true story i uh, merely called this person a professional person. Well, uh, I, of course, picked John up and left. Uh, although I was told by a professional person that on this occasion it was just fine for me to sit there, and uh, but it was probably not a good thing to bring children into professional people's waiting, waiting rooms. So it was all right for me to stay there. We had not been ordered out. But, of course, I don't want John around someone who is that unhappy about children this is not a judgment can you imagine how unhappy a person would be if one by one they put each of their children up for adoption until he now had no more children this is not a, you can see that a person that feels that they must do this is not a happy person this does not means that they're a bad person they cannot avoid doing that at the moment that's the best they can but of course i didn't want my in the office of someone who had that attitude about children. Now, if I had carried this with me and if I had railed against the, uh, the person in my mind and if I had told other people about them, then I would have been making the very mistake that was pointed out in the reading. I would be first making the world real and then trying to forgive it. It's impossible to do that. You can't make it real. You just say, ah, I see this is going on and this would be a little difficult for me at my stage of learning because, of course, we can reach a place where, and we do, of course, eventually reach a place where we can go into any situation and we are so aware of the presence of God that although we can see what's going on in the world around us, it doesn't affect us. Nor does it affect the people that we have with us. But most of us are not at that point by a very, very long shot. And talking about uh, unhappy places, uh, I know that uh, sometimes people, for example, you couldn't, you could not to, uh, two, three, four, five-year-old child, tell them that there were no happy places in the world. Even if you explained also that there are no unhappy places. There are no living places and there are no dead places. There's just the world. It's just the way it is. It's not good or bad. But you couldn't explain to a two or three or four-year-old or possibly even a five-year-old that there were no happy places in the world because they think... For example, a two-year-old or one-and-a-half-year-old, they're very much like uh, dogs uh, in the sense that if you notice that your dog loves to leave home, it's just real excited about jumping in the car and leaving home, and then it's just real excited about coming back home and everything. All right. Now, uh, it's not excited about going to the vet. The dog has not arrived. It's not an ascended master, you see. It it, it does think that. But... And also it thinks that this other dog walking on the sidewalk should not be there. And it lets it know that. Uh, But one-and-a-half, two-year-olds and so forth, those little teeny little kids, they have such a a number of places that they think are happy places. They don't think every place is a happy place. Uh, Oftentimes they don't think the bathtub is a happy place to be. Uh, As they get just a little older, they think it's a wonderful place to be. Now, as they go along, you can see their definition begins to change and it becomes narrower and narrower. This is the unfortunate aspect of believing in the assumption that there are good and bad people, good and bad places, is that the thing begins to hem you in. It begins to cage you. And you can see this happen with children. As the number of happy places begins to diminish... And they have a bad experience at some place and now that one is written off. So that by the time we reach 40, 50, 60, 70 years old there are oh so few things that we now think are happy. And we may think that there is almost no place but our little chair in our living room in front of the TV set that has any chance of being happy. And then of course we lose even that. This is not a happy thing to do, to judge the world, but it is a good thing to do for you to see what are happy and unhappy places, people, situations, and behavior, so that you can make your walk home much, much easier. Uh, I don't do this much anymore, almost none at all, but uh, there was a time in which I appeared on television talk shows and all that kind of thing a lot, and uh, and I remember thinking before I did this that this was a very, very happy thing. As a matter of fact, there's a movie in town right now about someone uh, who thinks this is such a happy thing that he even kidnaps the host and so forth, maybe you've seen that. Um, Most TV talk shows, not all by any means, because this, of course, depends on the peace that the people there feel. It depends on whether or not the people have come together and there's a heart connection. These two people that we have in our Sunday school are from Little Earth School, and that school has a heart connection. I don't know what their philosophy of teaching is. I'm not sure that they could even say, but you can feel the peace and the love when you walk into that school, and that's why we wanted them here in our church, and we're so happy that they agreed to do this. But oftentimes in a TV talk show, there is such a chaotic array of purposes, and and the people are feeling them so strongly that they're usually not happy places to be. There are exceptions, of course, to that, but I didn't realize that. I thought, oh boy, TV talk shows. I remember one of the first ones I got (laughs) I was on was in California and uh, I came on after the guy who wrote the book about the clone do you remember that several years ago I think it was someone in South America some rich person had cloned himself or something and he was touring as a matter of fact on that particular tour I ran into that person a lot And, uh, and but the thing that was was that I always seemed to end up right behind him I was the next guest and for some reason, the talk shows lots of times think they have to have a theme. And so, before I went out, I was told that I had to tie my remarks into cloning. <laughs> now, I'll tell you what's even funnier than that, is that I did it and thought that what I said was profound. I, <laughs> I don't know what I said. I know that there, I have a statement in one of my books... Uh, All our differences are superficial and meaningless. We are exactly alike. Uh, And that's not the one I used, but I, I saw later that it could be used that way. There are certain situations that you could be aware of if you would like to. You see, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about developing a sense That when someone comes up to you and invites you to something, or asks you to do something, to take on something, notice, please, that you have an instinct about whether or not this is a good thing for you. This is quite different than a judgment about the person. That comes later, and that can confuse you because you can think this is a wonderful person or this is a relation or or uh, there's lots of money or there's lots of glamour or there's lots of whatever involved and then you get very confused about it but notice that when you're asked would you like to do so and so notice that you for an instant you know it's you might feel it uh in your gut it doesn't matter where you feel it but just for a moment you can sense whether this is right or wrong for you. Now, by right and wrong, I don't mean uh, right and wrong in the sense of a judgment, but whether or not it will make this will be a hard situation for you, or a, or a place where you can practice the peace of God fairly easily. You you sort of know that. Tr- begin trusting that. Begin paying more attention to it answer from that rather than from all your considerations as to whether or not this is going to benefit your ego life because that will confuse you now of course you will make some mistakes and you may for example think that excitement is that feeling that I'm speaking of and of course it isn't it's a feeling of ah I would be comfortable there that's all it is But if you will go ahead and begin watching it a little bit, it will begin to almost it'll it'll appear almost to go up in volume. It'll become clearer, and then you will answer very simply, "No, thank you. I, I don't believe so," or something. You will in some way you will answer, but you will wish, of course, to answer gently and kindly, because this isn't a judgment. This doesn't mean that other people shouldn't go to the event or take on the work or whatever it is you're being asked to do or invited to do or being opened to do. Now, there are situations Well, let's first of all take places. Here's another thing you might begin noticing. You, you have a particular routine now in your life. You are buying your gasoline from about the same places. A very, very few number of places, considering all the places in this town you could buy gasoline. You are doing your grocery shopping from a very few places. You are shopping for clothes in a very few places. If you open the yellow pages, you will see that there are maybe a hundred restaurants that you have written off for some reason, without ever even looking at them. So you put yourself in situations as you go through the day and you are in the habit of doing this. And what I'm suggesting is that not that you begin judging these places, but that as you enter a place now, very quietly, you ask yourself, is this a happy place for me to be in? Is this a happy place for me to go twice a week to buy my groceries? This is not a judgment on the people but you will begin to sense whether or not this is a happy place to take your children is this a happy place is this a happy restaurant for you to take your children is this a place that welcomes and loves children now if you carry that with you having seen that having seen oh yes these people really welcome children and My children always seem to be happy here, and there aren't these fights that that break out after we've left. There isn't this sort of discontent that happens after we've left. If you actually see that, you of course will not, if you see it truly, you will not carry it with you. You will not try to prove your point to someone. If you are asked, of course you will state it. You will give an honest answer. It's always best in this world to be honest. Last time we talked about rules, and one of the rules that makes life a little easier is being honest as well as gentle. White lies tend to make things more complicated. And then also you will begin to sense certain things about certain situations. Now, it may be, for example that uh, you'll begin noticing that that organizations whose purpose is opposition, that's their whole focus. So you rally together in order to oppose. Possibly you will notice that these are often not happy meetings. The purpose is, of course, a form of attack and judgment. And the judgments are going unquestioned. Possibly you'll begin to notice that events that in some serious way, in worldly terms, decide who is better and who is worse are generally not happy places to be. Some occasions in which there is a very strong emphasis purely on bringing pleasure to the body can be very lonely places to be. And so, of course, there is that sort of general recognition. But in addition to that, you can begin to sense that there are certain situations for you that just tend to be not happy. Now, you don't make a rule in the sense that you write off this forever and forever and forever. You just say to yourself, ah, this isn't a happy situation. It is not an easy situation for, for me to be in at this time. And so you avoid it for this time. And if the thing comes up again, of course you would consider it again in peace. And of course, if you need to buy something from a particular store, you don't make a fetish of this. The point of rules, the point of seeing the world more clearly, is only to make your life easier and happier. It is not to bind yourself with all kinds of rules and constrictions and judgments. And you will also begin to notice certain behaviors, as we talked about last time. That make life more difficult for you. We last time talked about how the general rule. Of do not discuss other people's egos. Will make life a little easier on you. This is very difficult to do. I'm not telling you that this is an easy thing to do. This is a very deeply ingrained habit that we have of getting together with other people and then discussing someone else's ego or a group's ego. Simply notice without trying to change anything if this makes you happy to do that, to discuss other people's egos. And you will eventually see that there are very gentle ways of walking around this kind of discussion. You do not wish to take sides against another person. And that is something you feel very deeply in your heart and that's why it is impossible for you to do so without being very conflicted. Being in a rush, of course, makes life very difficult and most people are in a rush all the time. In this world, time is a luxury. Be luxurious with time. You can bring so much happiness and enjoyment into your life if you will make time the luxury that it is. Pour time all over your day. Give yourself all the time in the world to get there. What we usually do, you know, is, uh, all right, the thing's going to start at uh, three o'clock, and now it's one thirty. And uh, I said, well, it's one thirty, and uh, I don't need to get dressed yet. I- I think I'll go start the new edition, you know, uh, or, uh, what we, you know, something, we begin something, and of course suddenly now we've got to get the, uh, we've got to get dressed at the last minute. It is, it is almost impossible for people at our level of learning to rush to some place and still be at peace. It is, of course, possible to do that, but it is very difficult. You will make yourself so much happier if you will give yourself all the time, more than enough time to get your children dressed, to eat your dinner, to go out for the evening, to take your bath, to watch your program, to whatever it is you choose to do. Pour time all over it. And peace will be much easier. Now, I would like to recommend an exercise that Gail and I have been trying this last week. We've uh, benefited greatly from this. And you might also. Here's how it goes. The first day, we carried a little piece of paper and a pencil around with us. And every time that we were conflicted, we wrote down what we were conflicted about. Now, maybe you think you're never conflicted. <laughs> I, let me tell you, the only thing that we can do in this life that is not conflicted is perhaps have a diarrhea attack. <laughs> now, if you have a diarrhea attack, there's no conflict. You know exactly what to do, and you do it. <laughs> this may require a degree of honesty that you are not used to exercising. Another word for conflict is a question. Is there a question in your mind about it? There are no questions in God. And to be one with God, to recognize your oneness with God, to wake up to the splendor of reality, you must come to have no questions about anything. A conflict is a question. Should I or shouldn't I? Would it be better to do this? It's a little worry. It's a little nagging something about it. You are not entering it with sureness. And so the very first thing that you must see is how terribly conflicted you are. You are conflicted about every single thing that you do from the time you get up. Notice this. This is true seeing because you will do nothing about it that first day except put it on a piece of paper. You will just say, I was conflicted about this. Now, I'm, this is a little difficult. Your paper will be very long, if you're honest. You will, be, you, will, you will have a tendency to be a little discouraged if you haven't already recognized the amount of fear that's already in your life. But let me tell you that this doesn't need to be discouraging. It's just a first step. You're just trying to see what is actually going on on the level of the world. And so you just write this down, perhaps, for a day. Now, the second day, what Gail and I did was we made mental note every time we were conflicted. Because by that time, we were were a little more acute to any patches of fear, any traces of anxiety, any worries that we were carrying into the things we were doing. And there were thousands of them. And we were more aware of this now. Uh, also, there was less of it. Did you know that? Can you see that there would be the next day? There was less of it. Just having seen it, it began to dissolve a little. Now we were more Acutely aware of it. And so we just made mental note of it. The second day. Any questions. Any worries. Any fears. Any conflict. And the third day. This is what we did. We decided that we would do. Fewer things. Which is a wonderful thing to decide. You can decide this. Every morning you get up. This is not running from the world. Or hiding from it. This is. Seeing the peace and the happiness that cutting back brings you. Cutting back a little bit. Not making some huge, enormous project of it, but just cutting back. And so we decided that we would do fewer things that day. But we would do them with complete sureness. We wouldn't do anything unless we were absolutely sure that we wanted to do it that meant that I had to, at least for me, I I haven't compared notes with Gail, I found myself pausing more than I'd ever paused because I could sense a little conflict, a little question about this. And then when I was as sure as I could be, because you will discover it's very difficult to be absolutely sure, but when I was as sure as I could be, I would do the activity and that sureness is like a door through which the peace of god begins flooding into you fear keeps out the peace of god not in any absolute sense i'm not speaking of absolute truth but you can't experience the peace of god if you are scared if you're anxious if you're questioning if you're worrying if you're second guessing why you're doing things if you're thinking maybe i should be doing something else but i ought to doing something else but i ought to do this and i'd really rather be doing that and all this stuff you see? Not one word is needed in order to walk home. You need no words in your mind in order to join completely with your Father and see your oneness with all life. There is not even the words whole wheat. You don't need any words. Sugarless. You don't need that word. You don't need any words. <laughs> Preservatives don't need that word. I was noticing uh, the. Uh, have you ever noticed it on, on Worcestershire sauce? What they're very practical people there at Lee and Perrins, I can tell. Shake the bottle. It says. Now, others just say shake well, and I was always doing the shimmy and everything, you know. But then I I said, oh, well, maybe it says shake the bottle. You don't need any words. And as you pause and become absolutely sure of what you want to do, do you wish to pick up the phone and call so-and-so? As you do that, You will feel your mind becoming still, and you will feel the luxury, the rapture of Christ. There is another reality, it is all around us. This is what you long for, this is what makes you cry in the middle of the night. This is what makes everything seem like some sort of harness nest at times. And why is everybody talking so much? And why is all this stuff going on and you just can't stand it? And you know you want to be someplace else. You want to be home and home is here. We don't kill ourselves in order to go home. We don't do bloody sacrifice in order to go home. We fall back into the arms of God, into joy and happiness now. It's the decision to do it now that takes you home. Not to put it off for another second, another day. Not to say, oh yes, but I got to get this done first. Let me ask you to say one thing with me. God contains no questions. God contains no questions. To know what I want is my inheritance to know what I want is my inheritance you do not have to be afraid there is another way to go to life oh <laughs> well that's a great idea we could just do this the whole thing I'm sorry <laughs> well that's true huh that's worth saying too isn't it <laughs> okay Now, we're going to end the service with a a little benediction that we're all going to sing together. We've done it a couple of Sundays before. Uh, But before we do that, I want to lead you in a short meditation. And so if you would get comfortable, we will call this the Up the Lazy River Meditation. Uh, Remember that song? Blue skies up above, everyone in love. Up the lazy river right. <laughs> that's it so there you now close your eyes meditation <coughs> now. now got your eyes closed now so you're in your your little inner tube uh, or your uh, your duck wings whatever you know favorite little duck wings you Got your little sack of fig newtons. Fig newtons have survived. Have you noticed that they came through it all? I guess it's because it was the, the figs or something. And newtons—that couldn't be too bad. If they're called newtons. Got your little, uh, got your little glass of uh, newtons unfiltered apple juice. You see? And uh, it's always interesting. Have you noticed that? Now, we're still meditating now, but I... <laughs> I you're have you noticed that uh, it's not enough for them to say no preservatives. They've got to uh, they've got to list everything that it doesn't have. No BHA, no artificial color, no rat tails. No, it just goes on and on and on. Right. Um, so there you are, your little inner tube. Got you a little glass of whatever you'd like in your little snack it's a lovely day it is indeed a lovely day this indeed is the day the Lord hath made that is a fact it is yours to have and you are floating very lazily and very happily on a river of peace that is a fact you are going home You cannot make a mistake severe enough that those who are with you and those who watch over you could ever turn against you. Why then turn against yourself? Dwell not on your mistakes. Dwell not on the part of the river that has gone and passed you. Why do that? When now you rest and you bask in the sun and in the love of God, and you hear the gentle splashing of the waves, and the songs of birds and the trees around you, and all you're asked to do is not interfere, is not to decide whether the direction's right. Whether the speed is appropriate, just be there now on this river of life that takes you home. And the water sparkles and it catches the rays of heaven and it shimmers all around you. And there's light above you and there's light coming from the water and you feel so light. The river widens, and there's a hush now, and only the song of heaven can be heard. Welcome home, my child. I've always loved you, so be home now peace and stillness for just a few seconds okay we're going to do a, a little sing a little benediction I know that uh, last Sunday your kids ate five donuts and you didn't get even one uh, this has been rectified we're, we're going to limit the numbers uh, donuts did you bring the donuts Oh, good. All right, we already have. We have lots of donut holes and gooey things and everything. Huh? Four boxes. All right. Uh, so truly, you can sing the benediction with an open heart. Do you see? Uh, would you like them to sit in the lazy river, or do you want them to stand? Whatever they want. Would you like to stay in the lazy river? Okay. You can hold hands or not. Whatever you like to do. And. Uh, We'll begin.